just a couple of uh, announcements for you regarding uh, where we stand in our as we approach the, the Christmas Eve service. Uh, Convoy of Hope is our focus. They are still doing a lot of disaster relief over in the Philippines with the big uh, incident that happened over there. Over 700,000 meals have been distributed so far already. And this represents, we're over eight boxes. We have eight boxes here. We're over eight boxes. This represents over 40,000 meals that we've already given. And we are praying for the goal, Christmas Eve, 100,000 meals. So we are on our way. It's a goal. We praise God. And uh, I want to invite you to our Christmas Eve service. We're going to have a great time. We aren't going to hold you long. It starts at 5 o'clock. We're going to have a story that Denise is going to read to our kids. We're going to focus a little bit on him, and we're going to let you go and uh, be with your families. But what a a great way to start uh, Christmas off the right way, to make sure that truly he is the focus of our hearts. I want to also uh, let you know that if you have given your heart to the Lord or rededicated your life to the Lord... In the recent weeks, we are doing a baptismal, and I need to know by this coming, by I need to know today, if you'll let me, uh, if you would like to be baptized. I need to know so we can make preparations. I know many of, some of you have already come and talked to me about it. I've got your names, but if you've not uh, said anything and you are wanting to be baptized, or you had talked to somebody who isn't here this morning and you know they want to be baptized, Will you let me know so we can make sure we facilitate this? Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. Uh, The Sunday after Christmas, uh, all of you know that at North Lake Church, there is a lot of activity surrounding the Christmas time and the Christmas season. And so uh, as we approach the Sunday after Christmas, we are inviting you to just come and be a part of of a breakfast and sit down. We aren't going to have our worship team work. We aren't going to have anybody do anything. We're having some that are trying to cook for us and we're going to sit down and we're going to share a meal together and we're just going to go... And I want you to turn your electronics off. During that time, I am going to start it. I'll hold my phone up, and I'm going to turn it off. (laughs) And and what we're encouraging you to do is to look and and to fellowship around the table and, and just be with one another. Amen? So that's the Sunday after Christmas. It's going to be a great time as we look forward to the new year and what the Lord is going to do should he tarry. Amen? Amen. Well, we are continuing to uh, finish up talking about the why, what drives us here at North Lake Church. And we have been talking about that it is that we are convinced that the living water changes everything, one life at a time. And that is what drives us. We have been changed by the power of God, not because of us, not because of what we've done, but because of Him. 
And because of what he's done, nothing will ever be the same in our life. And that is why. It's what drives us. It's what allows us to be able to talk to others. And so this morning we are going to finish up on that as I talk about can one life really make a difference? Because remember, we've talked about that the living water changes everything one life at a time. See, sometimes, a lot of times, you can get so focused on the mass that you forget the one right in front of you that God's placed. Don't be so zealous to save the world that you lose your family. Do you hear me? Don't be so zealous to go out and say, I've got to save the world, but let your own family go. For, and I'm going to get to this, but for many years, we have struggled inside the church with this attitude that putting God first meant your ministry as well. Wrong. Doesn't matter whether you've been called as a vocation to serve the Lord, or as all of us together, corporately serving the Lord. Do not gain the whole world and lose your own soul. Take care of those things, those priorities. God, family, ministry. Whatever ministry God's given you, God, family, ministry. Amen? Amen. Now you can raise your swords and say with me, this book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Hallelujah. Convinced that the living water changes everything one life at a time. We are focusing on that reality one life at a time this morning. And so this morning, again, I want to talk to you about living water. Can one life really make a difference? And I want to look at the Gospel of John. John's Gospel. Chapter 1. I want to read starting at verse number 14. And I'm going to read through. And before, before we do that, let's just back up because I want to talk about this. Unfortunately, we oftentimes do not realize the significance that one person makes. Oftentimes, we see the overall scheme of things, if it were in this picture, we see all of this area out here, and because of it, we think that this little insignificant drop certainly can't make a difference. 
we really look at that and we think, yeah, but what can this little drop really do? But I want you to see as it drops in that two things happen. Number one, the drop is gone. It disappears. As long as you're willing to hold on to your little drop of a life, you will have no significance. Do you hear me? But if you will let it go, yes, you will, as the Bible says, die, but you'll save it. See, as that drop comes down and we see it no more, what we do see is the results as it goes from one to another to another to another to another to another. The unfortunate thing about this picture is although we see every ripple on the screen, Oftentimes, these little places between the top of that crest of the ripple and this one could be a span of sometimes 40 to 50 years. And so, no wonder we focus only here. You hear me? Because we just think, man, this is having absolutely zero impact. My life doesn't amount to a pimple on a whale. Isn't that the way we feel sometimes? But in God's hands, there is no one person insignificant. Not one. In God's plan, a life placed in his hands, even with all the flaws of that life, even with all the imperfections of the water, even with all that, that is not in that drop of water, if you'll yield it to God, you will have significant impact for his glory. So, we need to focus on the right thing. Amen? Amen. All right. Now we can move along and we'll go to our text. Get my glasses on here. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace 
and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. And I know that some translations will translate that begotten Son, which is good and it's a good translation, capital S. But I think it's also good for us to know that Jesus Christ is God. So I like that translation that says God because you can't have one without the other. And the scripture is clear. If you, you cannot have the Father without the Son. <laughs> so we're talking about this in the event of it being significance in life. Because at Christmas, let's be honest, there is nothing more significant than what we are about to celebrate. Nothing. Absolutely. And yet, we struggle for significance all the time. And that part of us will only be satisfied when that significance is found in something bigger than you ever thought. Again, getting back to our little dot, as long as we try to hold on to the little drop of our life, we will lose really everything that we're wanting. All the significance will go away. You will think, what am I living for anyway? But you give it to the Lord and you give it away and spend it for Him. And although it seems like maybe it's gone, its effects will affect eternity. This, this is very, it's, it's very important because of the, the time of, that we are. Because truly, Christ gets lost in Christmas. I mean, look at our nation. We've gone wild with everything except what really matters. We try, we strain, we try so hard trying to find significance in everything the world has to offer and we refuse to turn to God who's the only one who can give you significance. If you're looking for significance this Christmas, the only one who will ever give you significance is Christ. You can try to find significance in a relationship. It will disappoint you. No matter how wonderful it is. I happen to believe I have the best that God ever created. But I will tell you, you try to find significance only in your married relationship, you're going to get lost. Because 
Only Christ will give you significance. Only Him. So I want to talk about some significant things in the Word of God and outside of the Word of God. I think that you all will know who this is. I don't think that it's, it's possible when I say this, I know that it's a possibility, but it, there's not too many places you can go and you can show a picture of who this is and not have them say, yeah, I recognize that I should know that person. I recognize that that is a significant person in history in America. And, and rightfully so. I mean, we, we just had, if you missed it, I've been watching on, on some of the, on YouTube and some of the clips and stuff, one of the most, I believe, powerful sermons ever delivered to our country. If you have not seen it, you need to look at it. Because as he sits in this chair, a man who has expended his life for Jesus Christ, he had a message to give America. We may not have wanted to hear it. And it seems the heart of man, I'm not, everybody knows I love my country. But our country and its people are in desperate, desperate need. And if we don't find our significance in God, we're desperately in trouble. And so we, we need to find that significance in God. But this man sitting in a chair, speaking, not in a loud way or in a way that, that was boisterous, but in a way that was real. He simply shared the truth. We often, though, don't see the, the significance behind what God does. We see oftentimes the and suddenly of what God has done. And we see the excitement and the movement and God's moving and we're, yes! But we see that long after the ones who simply said, yes, Lord, I'll do that that never, ever will be known until they stand before him. No wonder Jesus says, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Because, see, God cuts through the chase. God doesn't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outer appearance Man says, well, that certainly is the thing. And again, I'm not here to take away what an incredible that we would have men and women that would be raised up as Billy Graham 
and say, I will be obedient. We need it. Desperately. But what often isn't told is the significance of how Billy Graham came to Jesus. And maybe you do know the story because it is out there for those who are wanting to have it. But I would just be, I, I, I just, just for fun, is there anyone who knows the name of the person that Billy Graham got saved by? Anybody here, you are familiar with the name who saved Billy Graham? Maybe one. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Good point. But I mean, who had the connection to bring him to Jesus? No, but an associate and was, was there. Very good. Okay, so let me tell you the story. The story of Billy Graham being converted in the year 1934 in Charlotte, North Carolina. He was there with several other people, but Billy Graham tells his story how Dr. Mordecai Ham. What a name. <laughs> I knew it was him, yeah. That's the name of the person that first introduced Billy Graham to Jesus. Mordecai Ham was an evangelist unknown from the state of Texas. Yeah, I laugh, it's okay. <laughs> but he was obedient to the Lord. And there in that town... In Charlotte, he came, and Dr. Ham relates the story this way. Two young high school boys attended our meeting. They thought everything I said was directed their way. So they decided to take seats in the choir where I couldn't point my finger at them. They didn't pretend to be singers, but they wanted to be just behind me. And of Billy Graham's friend who was with him, he says, that's true, neither of us could sing. <laughs> Dr. Ham continues, one night, a man spoke to them during the invitation. Come on, let's go up front. Billy Graham and Grady both went to the altar Billy Graham was saved, and Grady dedicated his life to Christian service. In telling of his experience years later, Billy Graham recalls how first attending the service of the meeting, he was impressed with the large crowd. He had never seen such a large crowd, nor heard such a big preacher. And soon he had all he wanted. Billy Graham did not like the fact that he was told that he was lost. He got out as soon as he could 
and said, I'm through. But the next night, he was miserable all night long. And all the next day, and he admits finally, I couldn't wait to get there that next night. And of course, we know that Billy Graham went on to be used by God in many ways, but this is the man that none of us had ever heard of, Mordecai Ham, that said, yes, Lord, I'll do that. There's another one. He's mentioned, and I want us to turn there to the account of Stephen. Oftentimes we will think that, especially when there are tragic events that occur, how is it that this will ever bring glory to God? But understand in this fallen world of sin, God always is in control. Man seems like he's in control. Man seems like he has the ability to do with what whom he pleases, but nothing escapes the hand of God. Nothing escapes his hand. And in this passage of Scripture, we aren't going to read this whole thing, but I want to read some places here. Don't you? I see your eyes starting to glaze over. 754 through 9. Oh, I've got to call and cancel my dinner appointment. No, I'll, I'll get you out of here. But let's talk about this. The stoning of Stephen, one of the most significant events in the Scripture, not because the life of Stephen fills pages and pages in the Word of God. The, the life and the significance of Stephen is written in the Word of God, but it's only a very tiny, small portion but the significance, I believe, in what happened in the stoning of Stephen is very significant. Verse 54 says, Acts chapter 7, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him, speaking of Stephen. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That Saul is the same one who becomes the Apostle Paul, who writes 
under the authority and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, one-third, two-thirds of our New Testament. See, it says in chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. They said that Saul, as a young man, asked for authority to go and kill and persecute Christians so that he could do away with them. And yet I believe this one life that Saul was at, where he saw the power of God on Stephen, changed him drastically. And when he had this encounter, if you will turn with me to chapter 9, where Jesus introduces himself, it says it this way, starting at verse number 3. In fact, let's go to verse number 1. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked for letters from the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus and suddenly... (laughs) You hear me? Remember what I said? That's usually where we pick it up. And suddenly... But we don't get any of the details before that event. He fell to the... Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I believe that when Jesus spoke those words to Saul, I believe the event of standing at the feet of Stephen probably came back to him in all of its fullness. You say, well, Pastor Brian, why are you bringing this up? Because, again, too often we do not hear about, do not sing about, do not consider the countless hundreds of thousands, millions of unsung heroes in the faith that only because they have been obedient to say, yes, Lord, have changed the course of history because one man, one woman was willing, one child was willing to say, I'll do it, Jesus. We look and we see, and and rightfully so, we're blessed by what God did through Paul and saving him and all the works he did. But thank God for Stephen, who was willing to say, Lord, I'll do it, even if it looks like complete failure to the rest of the world. Even if it looks like my life didn't amount to a hill of beans. Jesus, if you ask me to raise that hill of beans, 
I'm doing it. And because of that, because Stephen allowed that, and by the way, you do need to know that stoning still happens today. Unfortunately, this is uh, in a place in Afghanistan. That pit is specifically made to bring people to, throw them in, and stone them to death. And it happens now. I did not put the graphic pictures up there for you, but that is blood trickling out of that pit. But the point is this. No life, not one, that is given to God is insignificant. Not one. And as we get ready, by the way, to celebrate, he who humbled himself, he didn't come with fanfare and all of that stuff. If you've ever watched the movie Aladdin, where... He turns into the prince, and as he's getting ready to wow the girl, he gives him all this stuff and makes him, God didn't come that way. He created the world. He came, and it says he came to his own people in the first chapter of John, and his people didn't recognize him. And they wouldn't recognize him. They rejected him. In the book of Isaiah, it says that we considered him smitten and strucken by God. Said that if we looked on him, we wouldn't have recognized him. He was beaten so bad. He would be considered a failure. And yet, not anyone has ever changed the course of history like the event we are getting ready to celebrate. Because God so loved, Jesus walked and lived obedient to his Father for 30 years before he started his ministry. In a short three years of ministry, they crucified him to a cross. But see, Jesus said when they got ready to go to the cross, what shall I do? Shall I say, let this cup pass from me? He says, no. I was born for the purpose of doing my Father's will. So therefore, Lord, be glorified. That's what he prayed. Oh, that we could grab a hold of that in the church. Oh, that we could grab a hold of the fact that the world is God's stage. In the book of Isaiah chapter 66, the word of God says... Heaven is the Lord's and the earth is his footstool. I think he's got it under control. 
It's God's stage. And although we all are vying and struggling for significance and importance and all of this, it is God who determines the lines on the stage that you say. It is God who determines the part in the play that you have. Sometimes we think that a small part is so insignificant because the person walks on stage, says one line, and walks off. And we think, oh man, that's too bad. That person must feel bad. But if you know anything about plays and the history of plays, literally one person walking on stage and saying one word or one line can change the whole thing. In fact, I have to tell you a funny story. <laughs> if you know the, the actor, and I, I'm, I'm going to miss his name, but it's the, the actor, he's not a singer, but he did sing. A one-hit wonder, someone left the cake out in the rain, <laughs> okay? That's his song. It's, his, it's not his claim to fame because he was a great actor. But he is talking to Johnny Carson one night, and Johnny Carson is talking to him about uh, his theater because he was, he was first a theater production person. He wasn't just on television. He loved theater. And so one of the things he did was Macbeth... And he was doing a scene one time where this guy was playing the king and the guy that was playing the king thought he was all that and a bag of chips. And he knew he was the leading guy and that he had all the parts. And he treated the, the, the man that, that loved drama just like he was insignificant. Just come out, say your part and be done with it. Well, he said, well, I'll get this turkey. He said, I'm going to get him good. And on opening night, he goes out and the, and the thing goes, you know, the, the queen or the king comes and he asks how the queen is, you know. How goes the queen? And he's supposed to come down and, and uh, uh, tell uh, the king this bad news about how she's going to pass away. And, uh, and it's supposed to be such a mournful time. I mean, this is the, the climax of the whole play, Okay. And he walks on stage, and he said he knew what his plan was. He was going to walk on stage, say his line, and he had a taxi ready to take him away. <laughs> he walked on stage. you got to see it if you clip it or Google it on YouTube. It's funny. But he walks on stage, and the king comes out, and he says, How's the queen? And he says, Oh, she's fine. She's going to be down in a couple of minutes. And he walked off stage. <laughs> The point, funny, is sometimes either the world or the enemy of our soul, Satan, or sometimes even good people that are misguided make you believe that you have a two-bit part in a play that won't make any difference to anybody. Just live your life and get it over. What significance do you have anyway? You're on God's stage. God found it important enough 
for you to be on his stage. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You're on his stage. Thank you, Jesus. That is the most significant news to ever be told. And so know that whether God has you come out and give one or two lines, or whether he has you sitting on stage acting like a tree, in God's plan, you'll never know the ripples you are going to create. Just like they never realized when they crucified Jesus, they were never going to kill the Son of God. They were only fulfilling God's plan. The most significant event in history. So I say all that to say, Let God tell you what to do and just say, God, I will be obedient. If it is the smallest insignificant thing, I'll just say, yes, Lord. And truly, if we're ever going to see God do great things, we must be obedient in the simple things. Hallelujah. God so loved the world. It's his stage. Bow your head with me. Are you here today and your life really is one of trying to find significance and you're running everywhere to find it oh you've tried this you've tried that things relationships i mean you you the world will tell you it's in a million different things but i will tell you right now if you try it the million and tenth thing they give you you will still think you are insignificant and empty until you find your significance in god And if you're wanting to find that significance in Him, I'd love to give you that opportunity this morning. There is no better time than to find your life means everything to the kingdom of God. Enough that Jesus Christ died for you. So if you're here and you want to have relationship with Jesus, you want to know that he is your savior, you want to know before you go out of this place that you never have to worry again about whether your life is significant, would you slip your hand up and say, yeah, Pastor Brian, I want to pray that with you today before I leave. I want to know that God's got my that I'm the Lord's and he's mine yes anyone else anyone else 
just going to wait a moment. Don't want to assume. I'm going to look one more time. You feel the Lord pulling on your heart. I won't embarrass you. I want to pray with you. But I will not embarrass you. Hallelujah. Maybe someone's here. Maybe you've served the Lord, but you've fallen away from Him. I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you, you've been a Christian before. Maybe you've been for a short time and you aren't now. Whatever the circumstances, if you're wanting to come back to reestablish that relationship with Jesus, would you raise your hand? Yes. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I'm going to get ready to turn my microphone off, and if I know that those who've raised their hand, I know that you do not need to come down front to be saved. But I ask you to come so that you, by faith, can come and have someone pray with you and know. I won't embarrass you. I turn my microphone off. But as I turn it off, if you raised your hand and you really meant it, you want the Lord to do something, would you meet me down here? church we have reason to celebrate God is awful good because he has you on his stage would you stand with me let's go out of here thanking God for his blood can we sing that chorus before we leave what can wash away our sins what can make us whole again nothing but the Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash us pure as snow? Welcomed as the friends of God. Nothing but your blood. Nothing but your blood, King Jesus. All right, God bless you. Remember, Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock here. I promise you, you will be out in 50 minutes. We're going to have a great time focusing our hearts on Him. God bless you. I love you.